Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Brian Rudo. He is a professional variety performer. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you start off, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. I've been a professional performer for almost 30 years. I specialize in uh, escapes and danger. So I get to do crazy stuff, mostly, you know, like live audience, you know, big crowd type stuff, fire, bullwhip, straight jackets, balancing. Basically, I try to take the stuff that a sideshow performer would do that would make you kind of, oh, I don't know if I want to watch. I can do what they do, but I try to do it funny to make it a completely different experience to draw more people and make it a more universal art of performing. Wow. Okay. So basically anything that my mom has ever told me to stay away from in my life combined with comedy, that's what you do. And my mom blames me for every gray hair she has. So <laughs> I yes, bet. that's so, exactly the concept. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty great. As as someone who considers myself as a rebellious person, that's that's awesome. Um, so how did you get into this line of work and and being a professional variety performer? That doesn't seem like something that you just kind of randomly get into one day, or or is it? I mean, if you can't read, you look for physical skills, and I'm not literate, so I learned physical skills. It seemed like I had to do something, and being illiterate made it very tough to do anything else. Yeah, I okay. I, that's I a think joke. That's I'm a just kidding. Fair answer. I'm just messing yeah. with you. No, you're good. I just like that. Uh, <laughs> I just like that joke, and it, people just don't know what to do with that joke. Um, well, now I heard I, I'm a businessman. <laughs> I I yeah. started teaching when I was 11. I opened my first company at 13. By the time I was 16, I heard what a clown could make to do a birthday party. And I was like, whoa. I mean, back then, I don't know. I don't recall what the going rate for minimum wage was, but it was a whole lot more just to dress up like a really bad clown and show up to a birthday party. And I just learned there was better skills. And every clown I knew said, if you weren't a clown in your heart, the first thing you do when you get better skills is stop being a bad clown, which was 100% true. And then I just started learning. I learned magic and then I taught myself bullwhip and juggling and then just more and more dangerous stuff. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So when you first said illiterate, I was like, well, I know he's from Baltimore. So that kind of fits the, the profile a little bit. Uh, oh, yeah. So, okay. So it seems like you're, you're looking at your future here and you're like, okay, I could make a lot of money or a decent amount of money to just dress up and, and be goofy, which, by the way, for anybody that doesn't know about like the behind the scenes of, of being a clown, that's definitely an oversimplification. And then you started falling into other things. And, and is it like, are you an adrenaline junkie? Is that how you've kind of fueled your, your need for adrenaline um, by doing crazy stuff? Or I'm a businessman. This is a business. So I never came from the, the world of the hobbyist magician because some of the greatest magicians in the world are not professionals. They're those guys that are sitting in a room their entire life playing with a deck of cards because they have an utter passion for a deck of cards. Now, they're not going to come out and wow you with a great verbal banter, but their their skills, their technicality there is phenomenal. Same thing with a juggler. You know, a lot of these, and again, clowns, there's people that go to school for mime, for movement, for dance. I flat out heard what a clown can make to do a birthday party was like, that sounds like a good business for the amount of capital you have to invest for the return on investment. You buy a pair of stilts for 300 bucks. You make $100 an hour. You work one gig, they're paid for. If you choose to never do it again, you still own the stilts. But everything you, every stilt job you do for the rest of your life is on paid for money. So I, I know I'm in the art of entertaining people, but unfortunately I came at it solely as a capitalist and learn the skills, do the show. So I'm not the greatest juggler. I'm not the greatest magician. I'm not the great. I'm a good entertainer. <laughs> I think too, like that proves that you don't necessarily need to be the best in your field to understand how that field works and to make decent money off of it, which I'm assuming you've, you've made pretty good money off of it, especially pre-pandemic. So pre-pandemic, like how many shows were you doing? How often were you performing? And, and what's happened since COVID has come around? So 
entertainment's a weird business depending on there's a lot of so people that aren't in the business don't realize how many subsets are there's your birthday party people who are pretty stable then you have people that work fairs colleges casino like there's different levels and tiers and markets to our business unfortunately i've self-sabotaged my business um a long time i had invites to vegas years ago i had invites to cirque de soleil um i've coached wrestling for 22 years which is my passion working with the kids bettering some kid because my life and their life passed past each other they're better than where they were before we met and I, as a father i wanted to be a good father i didn't want to be a performing father and what that means is that guy that spends 250 days a year on the road and his kids draw pictures of him in the window of an airplane because they, that, they don't ever see him. So my wife and I agreed a long time ago, I'd make way less than I should, but I'd be a great father and a great coach to a lot of people instead of necessarily doing as many gigs as I humanly could do. Right. Yeah. And, and that is a very, uh, that's an important decision to make. And it's a very conscious one. It's not like you're like, oh, you know, I'm getting calls here, but like, I think I'm going to do something else or like, maybe I'll do this or that. It seems like that has to be something very ironed out that you're talking through and you're saying, I am stunting my career by doing this, but it's for these reasons and these reasons are worth it. You have to swallow your ego to do it, to be honest. Like when I was 21 and I was a performer, man, even 17, 18 as a performer, all you want is that Vegas marquee. You know what I mean? That ego, that 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 drive of seeing that upper echelon of, oh, my God, that's him. You, you know, the the seeing yourself on a billboard and go, oh, that's kind of cool. That's me. And then as you get older, you get more mature. You get, you know, you decide, you know, I've never I live small. I'm good with my money. I'm not a flashy individual in the least. And you just decide what's important. And to me, coaching and being a dad and going for a walk every day with my son had more value to me than my ego of, oh, let's see if I can be a millionaire and do 300 shows a year and da 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 da. It's just, I love performing. I mean, I get paid money to make other people laugh. There's no better profession. That's the best gig in the world. Yeah. Correct. You know, so if I can do that, be a coach and a father and have all three and somehow balance them. Life's not terrible. Yeah, I think to that decision, uh, you know, we talked about it being very conscious and, and swallowing your ego. That's got to be hard when you're younger and you're like, hey, I, I want to be in Vegas. I want to have a regular show. I want to be on the road. I want to be like being as famous as possible. And that fame, I think a lot of people really chase that fame. But what you give up for that fame is so much. And you hear... There are celebrities that talk about this kind of crap all the time where they're just like, look, like I did that. I made this decision versus that decision. I'm famous. You know who I am. But if I could do it all over again, I'd still be doing shows, you know, right down the street. And I do three a week instead of doing, you know, 30 a week when I first started so that I could get to this level. Oh, yeah. Tons of them regret. I mean, and a lot of it's their relationship with their kids. A lot of it is all the birthday parties they missed, all of the firsts they missed. I mean, even Major League Baseball players, Major League guys that are, you know, that much time away from their families. It's a very big decision which one is more important to you. And obviously you want both. Everybody wants everything. I mean, right. and then you just try to balance it. I'm lucky in my field where I could balance it. I'm like, base, like a pro athlete. You either get it and you do it or you don't. There's not a, a lot of a middle ground where I could kind of mm, – carve myself a middle ground to make a good enough living and do both. So I was, I'm very lucky in that respect. As far as the pandemic, you know, my industry got hit really, really hard. Um, like we talked, uh, entertainment's the first industry to go out and the last industry to come back, whether it was in 08 where I lost a ton or whether it's right now where I won't go back to full business till probably 2023. Wow. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's I mean that's staggering. Well, I mean, uh, best way to explain it, we worked the Ohio State Fair in 2019. We probably weren't going to go back in 2020, but we were going to try to maybe go back in 2021. Well, 2021, they uh, they flat out advertised, "Don't send promos. We're going to try to rebook 2020 acts." Well, there's a whole year out. Right now, we're in May, and nothing's going on right now in the world. Or we're in March, 
And most things you've seen won't start again until what, May at least? Any type of festivals, cruise lines are out till almost May or August, Broadway's out till I think June. So that means 2020 was gone, 2021 was gone, 2022, they have to rebook the acts from 2020. So now if you're trying to market to new clients, you're looking at 2023. Jeez. Yeah, so if you didn't have a massive 2020s lined up, you're a little bit in trouble like me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough position to be in. Um, and and kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, I have a great mentor and, and uh, he probably hates that I call him that, but you remind me a lot of him and he always tells me and would always tell me uh, when I was you know younger and in college, he was like, you can't be rich and be the king. You can't do both. And he would he used to draw this chart where he would compare the two and he would say the king has freedom and the king can do this and he gets to make decisions and everyone listens to the king or you could be rich. Now, there are examples that go against that, like your Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, people like that. But on the whole, you can't make all of the decisions and be, you know, have all the freedom that you want and everyone listens to you and also be rich at the same time and rich in terms of your fame, people knowing who you are, being, you know, actually wealthy. So I think that distinction, you're kind of towards the, the king side a little bit. You're like, I want the freedom to be able to spend time with my kid. I want to still do a little bit of the performing and, and still keep a name for myself. But you really, it was a very conscious decision for you to decide but I'm not going to go all the way over there. I could. I've, I've had opportunities to go there, but I'm not going to go there. Well, and my family's there. My, I come from accountants. My, I have family that are very much kind of materialistic. They're a little bit more, um, um, what's the right word? Uh, they, they live to their means. They, they, they like the finer things in life. They're not going to be camping on the ground with me and my family, which is what we like. We're their idea of camping would be a nice hotel. My idea of camping is legitimately a fire and a river and some ground. Um, so I come from those people, but I also see how many people make tons of money. They're CEOs, they're this and they're that, and they're fit. They're important. You know, there's people that work for them and they're miserable, hate yeah. their lives, hate their everything. Good. You got money. Congratulations. And you have a name. So theoretically you're powerful, but I've been looked down upon by people like that because as an entertainer, especially in the early days, man, ooh, we, we rank really low in America just to let you know. I mean, <laughs> America is a music country. You yeah. know, when you hear festival in America, it's a music festival. If you're thinking about a variety artist, that's the guy in the parking lot passing a hat when you're leaving the, the music festival. Now you go to Europe, you go to Canada, they hold busker fests, a whole festival based around People like me, uh, a juggler and hand balancers and ladder acts. And like, it's, 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 I can't wait to take my son to another country so he can see an appreciation of the art. And I'll give you a great example. A friend of mine is a professional climber. When I say professional, she was a Ringling brother. She was trained in the uh, Alliance of Europe. Like she is a professional clown. So this is what she has done. And in America, when she sells someone, I'm a clown. They'll say to her, oh, do you do birthday parties? Which is somewhat insulting for someone who has spent, you know, she's pretty much a doctorate in the art of clown, whether it be makeup or movement or, you know, that type of stuff. But when she, she was teaching in Europe at a circus school and she kept going into the same cafe every day and the barista realized, oh, she's not a tourist. So eventually the barista said, what do you do? And she said, I'm a profession, I'm a clown. And the barista's response was, ooh, where can I see you perform? Very well, that's different. a big difference in mentality from America to Europe. Huge. And that was a problem I always had growing up where even when I was dating, you know, before I got married back in my 20s and it got very old if you told people, you know, let's say you're meeting mommy and daddy of some girl. You tell them, I, oh, I'm a small businessman. I own a few businesses. Here's my daughter. I'm a right. professional entertainer. Oh, you're poor? Do you play you're music? You're poor or, or you're a bad person. That's right. the other thing that, that entertainers get all the time. So, yeah, I mean, we rank below musicians in America. Like, and everybody thinks a musician's poor, you know, in yeah. general. <laughs> I mean, just as a stereotype. 
So they're not rolling out the red carpet for you guys. No. So, I mean, we fall really low in that pecking order of, you know, bragging rights kind of in this country. <laughs> I think too, it's, it's really weird to me that we don't have more things like, like a busking festival. Um, I did acapella. So that, you know, mm -hmm. the music side of things. Yep. So not, not trying to outrank you here at all. No, you fall in there. Really we have Baltimore. <laughs> In Baltimore, we used to but, have two acapella groups that would do turns yeah. on the street. Yeah, they were part of the but, rotation. But the with busking the is huge. Oh yeah, it's the busking is huge. But in this country, it's not treated the same way as other places. But like, when you're talking about this busking festival, and I'm like, holy shit, I gotta go. Like that is generally something that I think is interesting, and and obviously because you're on the show where I interview interesting people. That is something that I think is really interesting, but I think other people feel that way too, and even in this country. So it confuses me that either the money's not there or the interest isn't there, but these things don't really exist in this country because the coolest person on the street is someone performing. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want to be a good performer. Any person, singer or anything will tell you, if you want to be the best performer in the world, you need to street perform first. And I've yep. seen great theater performers bomb on the street because they don't know how to keep a crowd. They've never had to. When you pay money for something, you tend to pay attention. You tend not to heckle. You tend not to get up and leave in the middle of it when you spend $50 for a seat. I grew up as a street performer in Baltimore, man. Nobody had to stop. Nobody needed to stop. And they surely didn't have to watch my whole show or give me their money at the end of it. I better be good. I better know there's some technique to it. You better know what you're doing and things go wrong. I mean, this is Baltimore, man. I mean, I caused a riot in 2000 with a show and I'm not being facetious like, oh, they got mad. No, I caused a riot. I had the riot police in full armor had to take me to my car at the end of the night because the show went that direction so bad. What? So what? Uh, yeah. We, okay. So we got to address that. Okay. <laughs> so Baltimore, it's not exactly, uh, if you're not from the area, I was born in Baltimore. I live right outside of Baltimore. You're from Baltimore. Um, for those of you listening who don't know anything about Baltimore, riots are, it's not that they're common, but it's more common for riots to happen than like other places. And, and there are other cities where this kind of stuff happens, but for one person to cause a riot from a performance, that is something rare. So what chain of events led to you causing a riot in Baltimore? Um, I'm going to go with greed and stupidity for, for the win. Uh, I'm going to take those. Uh, I was 21 years old. It was the 20th anniversary of the harbor, and I was invited to be part of the 20th anniversary of the harbor. And when I say the anniversary, that's when they redid it from 82 and they made it nice. Um which we need to do again, but different story. So I was there for the fireworks and I was performing not in the main spot. If you, you know Baltimore, I wasn't in the amphitheater. I was down where the new visitor center is, where Phillips used to be down on that side corner. Yep. And did a couple of shows before the fireworks. They were good. And the fireworks were getting ready to start. And, you know, Baltimore came out and it got very crowded. So I packed up and sat on my gear. And in Baltimore for the fireworks, you'll probably get close to a half million people coming down in that harbor area for that. And right after the fireworks, I'm 21. I am stupid. I, I, and I am willing to tell, say it out loud that I was a dumb because I looked at all the people and I grew up in Randallstown, which was a you know predominantly black neighborhood. I don't see color. I've been just around people my whole life and I just perform. I, I could care less. And I saw the people and I was like, God, I got to try to do a show after the fireworks and it was packed. So I got on my microphone and I put my circle out. And again, I'm five foot seven wearing a flaming sequin vest. There is no question what I'm doing or who I am. They're, they're, you're not mistaking me for anyone else. And I'm on my mic and I back everyone up and they leave and they go out around the circle. They knew what to do. And I come out with my opening and I crack a bullwhip. And as soon as I crack the bullwhip, somebody screamed, the scariest thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I am very quick-witted. I'm very, it's rare I don't have a comeback or a remark for anything that occurs. And at that moment, I cracked the bullwhip and someone screamed, damn, white boy thinks it's slave time. And at that moment, 
my brain just started doing math. And the math I was doing was, if I don't do a show, I'm gonna get my ass kicked and I'm gonna lose all my props. If I do a show, maybe I can just get my ass kicked, but I can keep my props. <laughs> so I started a show. And there, and actually when someone screamed at someone else charged into the circle, fully cocked at me and someone else grabbed them. So now I'm starting a show and again, I'm stupid. Instead of doing one trick and saying, thank you, I actually did a show, like 25 minutes. I got hit in the head by two objects. I think one was a can and one was a rock. And they're screaming, like I would balance on a big red ball during my show and I'm getting up on the ball and I picked the biggest dude I could find. And he put me in a straitjacket, which again, not intelligent to restrain myself. And Anger to crowd give you a perspective, this crowd was roughly 25 rows deep. The circle was probably 40 or 50 feet across, 20 some rows deep all the way around. So probably somewhere between six and 800 people packed in a circle around me. So there's no way out. And I told, I whispered in the guy's ear before he picked me up, I got out of two straight jackets walking on a two foot ball to close the show. And I said to the guy right before he picked me up, if you move, I die. Because the crowd was screaming, go ahead, get on the ball. We're going to kick that shit out from under you. You're going to die. And I'm like, still so stupid. I finished the show. And he picked me up on the ball and I could see over the crowd. And there was riot police on the entire outside of the circle and they couldn't get in. So I did the escape. I got things were flying. I got hit by some stuff and I'm still so dumb and naive. When I was done, I still tried to pass the hat. I made $12 and got escorted by the riot police to my car that night by an entire horde of fully armored men walking to my car that night. And I will never, and actually driving out that night, was one of those nights where the kids in the long t-shirts started running through the streets over the cars and like, I will never go to Baltimore for free fireworks. Anything time there's free fireworks and the real Baltimore comes out, I'm good. I'm not that greedy anymore. I've learned I'm not that dumb. Oh my God. That is uh, probably, I we've had a lot of, a lot of people come on the show and tell a lot of like, oh, how stupid was I? Like stories. I got to say, I got to I got to get you an award made or something, because that is quite possibly the <laughs> dumbest thing that anyone has ever done and said on my show. So I should I mean, have done I mean, one trick and left. If I was smart now, I would have done <laughs> one simple task, said thank you and packed my crap up and left. Absolutely. I just the whole thing to me is like, first of all, the bullwhip, again, for people who aren't understanding why this is funny is there is an act that you can do and, and several different acts and tricks that you can do with a whip. It is not meant to be in any sort of racial context. It is not meant to be in any sort of harmful context. It is not meant to be an aggressive thing other than it's a dangerous thing that this person is doing around themselves. That is that is the whole aspect of the trick. There is no deeper meaning. It is a dangerous object that you are using to perform an act. That was However, an old West proper herding cattle. Yes. However, <laughs> you were in Baltimore, which is a predominantly black area, and someone insinuated that what you were doing was making a racial someone comment. Ignorant. Someone but, ignorant. But going further than that, not only a racially inappropriate comment, but also a very offensive and aggressive action that had racist undertones. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that you were not doing anything that could be considered racist. It just happened to line up that things looked a certain way and someone took it the wrong way and then upset other people around you. So I honestly still don't understand how you made it out of there without getting in trouble. And like at props to the, the big guy who helped you out and who kept you in that that spot uh, so nobody could, you know, rush and, and kick the ball out from under you. But again, why would you continue with the show? Because if if I did something and someone says like, you know, oh, what he just did was racist. I'm like, ah, OK, pack it up. Time to go. I'm not I can't stay here. Like, 
I, I don't want to upset more people. I don't want to, but to do a whole show and then pass around a hat. And also who's the person, who are the people that gave you $12? Who was like, they watched your show. They watched the, the riot ensuing around you and the police coming in. They're like, that was pretty funny. Here's $5. I, I think the money was pity. <laughs> I, I think the money I made on that one was sheer. Honestly. Yeah. That one's not going to be a, but no, I mean, I think it's a professionalism. I am, when it comes to performing or when it comes to anything, I'm anal retentive in the idea that if I'm doing a 45 minute show, like a lot of people, that's all they have. If I, you book their show, you're going to get the same show every time, no matter the audience, no matter what. And I, I don't believe in that. I got like five hours of material. So like when you book my show for 45 minutes, I might bring two and a half hours of material. And when I see your audience, a lot of kids, a lot of older people, a lot of, I'll change the show in the middle. And just, and you won't know it, but I'll just start putting in new stuff based on how you react to give you the best show you can have based on your audience. Yeah. So I think that's why I finished the show because otherwise it's quitting. What's the fun of that? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's true. I, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody having to be escorted out uh, after a show by <laughs> riot police because people got upset about it. Um, but I mean, the harbor, dude, I, I can tell you tons of harbor stories. Jeez. The, the harbor, I think, is probably one of the most dynamic places that you could perform. That's And it's probably pretty slept on by most performers that don't know about it because any given day, because it's in the center of Baltimore and, and right in the heart of a lot of different things going on, you could have, you know, hundreds of thousands of different people walk by from all different countries and states and backgrounds, religions, races, everything. It's incredibly diverse in terms of who the people are walking around. And so to be able to perform in that area ha has to be super valuable, but also really incredible for you in terms of being able to practice your craft, because just like your show is never the same twice, the people that you're performing for are never the same twice. Well, it's also, I mean, that's the idea of entertainment, um, especially in the world we live in now. I mean, the world right now, again, of cancel culture and watch what you say. And, you know, obviously we're very unfortunate right now in where we are with, you know, what's going on with Asian Americans and obviously in, you know, black. I mean, we have so much going on. Entertainment's the only pure art form. I mean, when you watch a show, you just want to be entertained. And to be able to do it in public in a venue like the Harbor or Faneuil Hall up in Boston or wherever you are there, where you have a diverse group of people, not just one heavy population where you have a diverse. I mean, it's awesome. And I'll point it out at the end of the show, especially with my son to teach him that, I mean, when you watch a show, you're just there to be entertained. The rest of the world doesn't matter. You'll sit down next to whomever, even if you are whatever. And it doesn't matter, gay, straight, white, black, Trump, non-Trump, religious, not religious. You just want to smile. You just want to see the guy do something amazing and you want to do it with other people and have that sense. And that's what's unfortunate in this country where I don't think the emphasis is put there where it should be. But I mean, a great street show or any show without the label of title, well, he's only a street, you know, he's a performer or she's a performer. Right. Whomever, and if they can entertain you, there's no greater a gift or ability than the person that can make you stop what you're doing, forget about the rest of your life, stand with everyone and smile and laugh. I mean, that, yeah, that to I, me is the epitome. I think you're exactly right in terms of where we are now. Obviously, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues in terms of race. And some days it feels like when you turn on the TV whether it's somebody that thinks they're doing good or somebody that intends to do something bad, all people are focusing on is race. And something that you said at the beginning was that, you know, you've you've grew up in Baltimore. You don't really see race anymore. My whole thing, too, is like. I, I understand that there are different issues depending on somebody's racial identity and they get treated differently, which is unacceptable. And, and you know, you mentioned it as well. We're seeing those issues within the black community and the Asian community right now. But I think at the end of the day, what entertainment does, especially things surrounding uh, comedy and performances in terms of somebody doing an act, I think the beauty of that is that it all just melts away. 
Because again, you have people that right now negatively see people of different races as less than them, and that's awful. And then some people act on that. But then you also have the other side where people put people in groups by their racial identity, trying to do something helpful when really all it's doing is promoting more of that separation and comedy and entertainment and just being able to smile and laugh and be with other people, not worrying about, I have bills to pay, not worrying about, you know, this race or that race, not worrying about what you have to do when you get home or, or how you're going to explain to your boss the next day that you did this or that without having to worry about those things. It, it de-stresses you. It's good for your health. And to be with other people of varying backgrounds and doing that too, I think is good for especially a country like this where we're so divisive now. Like, just be with other people. You should try and be with as diverse people as possible because everybody's different. But at the same time, underneath, we're all the same. We're all humans. So like, just, I don't know. I guess it's frustrating for me that everything seems to be so focused on the color of your skin or who you pray to or don't pray to when really all that matters is that we all have our own separate struggles and together that's not going to be as bad because we can help solve those struggles for each other. But all anybody wants to focus on is our differences. So comedy and performing, I, I absolutely adore because I think it shuts those things out and it forces you to only focus on being happy and entertained. So I, Remember, I love it. Your best comedians are the people that realize what they are and use it to their advantage. If you're a big giant dude and you make the big jokes like Iglesias, yep. people love him because he knows who he is. He's not trying to hide who he is. And he's made humor out of being exactly who he is. He, you don't look at Julio Iglesias and go, ah, oh, man, the fat guy. No. Yes, he's called Fluffy. But you look at him going, damn, that guy's funny. He just uses who he is as a tool to put everyone else at ease. You know, yeah. I mean, I got, a, I know a few great comedians that are, have special needs of different types. Oh, some of the funniest, and they use what's wrong with them as to make everyone else laugh, to put them at ease. Don't right. look at me like there's something wrong with me. I'm funny. You know? Yeah. It takes, it takes everything negative that you could potentially feel about a person and it completely transforms it, which is why things like comedy and entertaining are so important because it, it again, it, it breaks all of that stuff down. And I have Tourette's myself, and there's a lot of different comedians that have Tourette's that are now performing. And it's awesome because people are having an understanding that, first of all, there's more people with Tourette's than they realize. Second of all, it's not exactly what they've been told or what they see in skits. It's not necessarily corpulalia, which is the utterance of obscene words or gestures. It's so multifaceted. And the change in the past five years that I've seen in terms of people being aware of something like that, just to use it as an example, versus not, is completely different. Because now they're like, oh, I love that guy. He happens to have Tourette's and he puts it in part of his performance. He's making light jokes about it, but I'm also learning a little bit that, oh, like it, it's a lot different than I thought it was. So I think a lot of different comedians and performers use those different details about themselves to not only make money and, and you know, to be entertaining, but also in that same breath, they're bridging that gap between that misunderstanding and that that difference. So, I mean, I I, I truly think it's it's special work. Here's one you like. There was a guy with Tourette's. He worked the college market in the same market I'm in. So we, I'd see him at trade shows, him selling his lecture. And, you know, he had more of the tick version where he had the, a lot of like ticks in his Tourette's and stuff in his speech. Right. And that was what he spoke about, you know, how people perceive. And well, he, through therapy and other things, he actually kind of cured his Tourette's where he doesn't do it anymore. So he put himself out of work. Wow. Because that was his lecture. <laughs> was him with Tourette's and now you see him talking and he looks like we do. And you're like, oh, that's a weird lecture. Yeah. So that was just kind of a funny one where he uh, fixed it and kind of, I guess, lost money by getting better. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole thing is that eventually we're going to hopefully get to a point where, I mean, there's comedians that will tell jokes based on their races. Um, and, you know, to use the Asian American example, because right now that's, you know, that's a huge issue. 
Um, I follow a lot of Asian American comedians that talk about their race constantly and their culture growing up and how things are different. And again, it's, it's this learning aspect of like, I didn't grow up in an Asian household. I have no idea what an Asian household is like, but through watching this person talk about it, the good, the bad, the, and the differences, I'm learning more about somebody else's culture, like Mm -hmm. kind of subconsciously, which I think is really cool because I'm just tuned into, you know, he's, he's making jokes about his heritage and his race. And so I'm like laughing because I'm like, that's, that's funny. And the jokes are good. But at the same time, I'm like, I now, you know, kind of understand what it would be like for my Asian American friends to grow up in the United States, because I've, I've heard some of what this comedian's talking about. So that bridging the gap and, and bringing people together is a huge part of comedy and entertainment. The problem is now people are trying to cancel that because for whatever reason, they don't get it. And I've talked about cancel culture before on the show with um, different comedians. And the problem is that in an effort to bridge that gap and to make it less of an uncomfortable thing and less of a difference, you are going to offend some people. And occasionally those people who get offended get massive followings behind it. And they cancel somebody that really has the same exact goal that they do, but they don't see it the same way. And they have the power, not the single person who's trying to help bridge that gap. That's the same as people that hate Brady because Brady's good. There's always going to be someone <laughs> who hates what they can't do. I mean, look, right. whether you like Brady or don't like Brady, the guy's done what he's done. He was a sixth-round draft pick who would have never had a chance if Bledsoe didn't get hurt. He took an opportunity and he became questionably the GOAT, whether you like him or not. The dude had a 20-year career with more records than anyone. And for that same reason I just said, there's a lot of people that hope he loses every Sunday – solely because he wins a lot. Right. And that's any sport. That's not a Brady, that's a Brady thing. But I mean, that's any sport where the guy's good, whether it was Tyson, whether it was Ali, whether it was any sport that people hope you lose just because you win too much and they don't win enough. And they'd rather see someone else who's good not win because it makes them feel better that uh, you didn't win either. Doesn't make it right. But it's, you know, look, it is what it is. People are always going to, do what they feel they need to, to, and some people don't really want to be happy either. Some people are happy being the curmudgeon, the, this, you know, I always joke that when I do start shows all the time, but Hey, look, all right. Most people, most, you know, everyone has a friend. All right. Most of you have a friend and at least one of your friends, whether you're happy or sad, generally looks like this during the show. You know how hard it is to entertain that person. That's why my goal during the show is to entertain me. If I'm entertained, everyone else is at least amused. Right. So as a philosophy, and I'll tell that as a joke sometimes in the show, and it's not a joke. I learned when I was 17, when I was 17, you know, you, you want to please everyone. You're just starting out in your career, your jobs. I worked my butt off to try to make every person laugh. And the only thing I ended up doing was working harder and looking unhappy. Because the harder you work, the less happy you look, even if it's comedy. So eventually I was like, man, I just can't get everyone to laugh didn't mean everyone didn't like me. They just weren't visually expressive in a manner that we are accustomed and trained to. You know, hey, they were good. You clap. They smile. Not all cultures do that. You know, some people just, again, always look very straight-faced. So eventually I just realized, dude, as long as I'm entertaining myself and I'm smiling and having fun, I'm probably doing my job fine. (laughs) And I yeah. just cared less. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And, and you know, I think entertainment is really the key to a lot of these these deeper things that happen in society and culture. And I think that a lot of times people don't give themselves the opportunity to feel entertained and to feel like I can take a couple of minutes and watch the street performer and, and just relax and not think about the bills I got to pay, what I'm going to do at work tomorrow, the next day. It's it's really freeing to be able to let go of those things, even if it is fleeting. Um, and so, you know, again, like we, we come back to the busking thing. Like, I don't know why that isn't more popular in the States other than, you know, there there is a huge stigma around it. If you're any kind of performer, people do generally like to look down on you, which very ironic for me, because if you ask anybody, they have favorite performers. They have a favorite comedian. 
They have a favorite artist or musician. They might even have a favorite entertainer. And and I think that was more popular, you know, maybe a decade ago. But like people have these favorites, but the people that they see on the street, they don't realize that are performing and, and really trying to cut their teeth in this industry. Those are the kinds of people that end up to be their favorite. But when they see them on the street, they look down on those people because they haven't made it yet. So you're judging somebody because they're not as good or they're not at the place as your favorites. But that's how you get there. You put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You are on the street and you are talking to people. You're trying to entertain them and you're trying to figure out and hone in what really makes you special and unique versus every other performer. So I think the ironic thing, again, is that if most of these people saw their favorites when they were just trying to make it and they were just starting out, scraping the bottom of the barrel, making nothing on the street, they probably wouldn't give them the time of day. They only like you once you're successful and then they really like you. But some of these guys don't want to make it on TV. They don't want, they have made it. Some of these street performers you see are making six figures a year. There, I mean, I know one that just put out an entire course. This dude makes six figures a year, every year, easy. And all he does is street perform and work festivals. He doesn't want to be any bigger than he is. He doesn't want to be, so he actually is at the pinnacle. So where, again, some people see the street as a look down. Sometimes the street is the actual pinnacle that you can go to a place that does not sell tickets, that does not have a requirement to stay. And you can make people stop, make people stay, make people watch. So it is actually not even that they're beginners. This is their profession, that they've honed their craft of stopping complete strangers for no reason to watch something. I mean, that's more of an accomplishment than a theater person to me. I mean, you'll buy tickets to stuff in Vegas. You don't even know what it is sometimes just because it was on the side of a bus. You know, so it's a different idea in that respect that, you know, that might be the pinnacle of this guy's ability right there. Um, so, yeah, it's just a different mindset necessarily. And I'm not saying all performers, some are starting out on the street to move up. Right. But some of them, I know tons of guys, that is their whole living. They're down in Clearwater. They're down in Key West. You know, some guys up in New York and Washington Square over in Boulder. That's their living. They also do some corporate events and some other festivals. But they never feel bad because they're on the street. That's that's home. Right. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk a little bit more about your career. You've done some pretty cool things and you've broken some records. What is your most recent record that you've broken and what was it? Uh, finally, after many, many years, finally set a Guinness World Record. Wow. So I was one of those kids that was always like looking in the book, wanted one, and you'd be like, balance a balloon on your finger. I can do that. And then you look at the record, <laughs> four days, never right. mind. Right. Um, so I've won, like I won, the, I think I won the first ever vote-in television show in American history. Really? Which was the Extreme Gong Show. So it was a remake of The Gong Show. It was on Game Show Network. And this was back in 1999. And to tell you how long ago 99 was for some of your uh, your, your, your viewers, um, uh, texting didn't exist to call into the show. It was 99 cents for a long distance call and email had just started. So long time ago. Yeah. And they put a board in front of you while you're on live TV with green and red. So as you're performing, you could see the board lighting up, depending if you were doing good or bad in the middle of your own presentation to see how you were doing. So that was nerve wracking. Yeah, I won. I won that when I was 21. I've got that check up on my wall in the house. But uh, that was probably my first big one. And then I was on The View and some other stuff. And but I just set a Guinness World Record. So if you went to their website and typed in walking globe, you would scroll down and I hold the record now for the longest time standing barefoot on a walking globe, which was 50 minutes flat. So I broke someone else's record of 43.56. What is a walking globe? It is a circus prop. It is a big round ball. It looks like a like a, the exercise ball at the gym. Yep. But it's hard. So it's hollow inside, but it's hard plastic on the outside. And 
the and Guinness is no joke for meeting their standards of they are legit for what they require to I've break someone's that. record. They uh don't they they fly out to you and then you have to prove you have to do it in front of them while they monitor you the entire time. And I've heard that they walk around with their clipboard and they're taking notes on every single little detail. And then you finish and then they go back and review and let you know if if you got it or not. Is that how that works? That's if you have five thousand dollars to spend. Oh, whoa. So if you have five grand to spend, you can pay five grand. They will fly someone out to you to do that. So the ones you're seeing were at a big event, a corporation. uh, Someone had the money. Right. Um, You can do it privately. You mail email them within like three months. They'll mail you back if they accept your whatever you want to break or your new record. Then you got to film it. And then and when you film it, you have to give like a they have levels of stuff you have to have. Two witnesses of your clock, two witnesses of your props. You have each one of those people has to document what occurred in order. You have to have live nonstop video feed. You have to meet certain criteria, measurement criteria. Like I had the measurement of the ball on the video. They wrote me back. It wasn't good enough. So then I had to put a board on the ball, a tape measure, a uh, ruler next to it, take a still photo of it so they could clearly see the dimension was uh, 24 inches in order for them to accept my, uh, my data. Wow. Yeah, they are super strict, but now that I know how to deal with them, I'm going to go set like another eight or nine real quick. I'm going to start sending them a bunch. Now I'm going to go set like another eight or nine world records. Now that I know how this works and I got a feel for it. Yeah. I got a bunch I want to do. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, and you've also, so in your acts, you've done some, dangerous things with some different props you are an escape artist as, as part of what you do what is the most dangerous thing that you think that you've done um most dangerous falls probably between three i've been hung from a bridge overpass in alabama and two straight jackets over a pit of fire y- yep okay. i've been saran wrapped from the waist up locked in a box that's only 20 by 30 with a hole in the top and a padlock on the front and i don't use a curtain so it ain't a magic trick. So you actually watch the entire time of that. And I do an electric man. I hook myself into a 250,000 volt Tesla coil, run electricity through myself and light a torch out of my fingers. So, yeah. Okay. So, so the first one <laughs> I thought was going to be like the worst and then they got progressively worse. So, what? That's just like the middle of the ground. I mean, I jump rope with the rope on fire, walking on a two foot ball all the time. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. Again, we're there's there's kind of a there's a dichotomy here between uh, I'm talking to you and you're like, oh, it's I'm not an adrenaline junkie necessarily, like I'm more of a businessman. But then you're like, yeah. So I was hanging uh, from an overpass over a pit of fire in Alabama. Like there there that's has business. to be some. That's not necessarily just business though. No, it's there, business. There's got to be something else in it that you're doing that. Yeah, I'm in the business of getting booked places and drawing the biggest crowd possible and making people leave going, Oh, we need to see that again. Or we need to book that guy. If I was the balloon artist on the side, which I can do balloons too, I can make you a human riding a motorcycle in three minutes. But I know a lot of other balloon artists too. And to the average person, if you've never seen a good balloon artist, they're all the same. It's a balloon artist. It's like most people to a magician. Oh, he does magic. Well, I'm around a lot of magicians and when I go to trade shows and I'm in one of 181 booths and there's 17 booths of magicians, which I could easily be one, why do I want to sell against the other five of those magicians that were just on AGT? Three of them were on Penn and Teller. Why do I want to be in the same category when I can tell people I'm a comedic stuntman? I can do what they do, but I can do it also real. I can break an arrow with my throat. You hold the board. I'll put the arrow there. I'll put the other end in my neck and I'll blow the middle of the arrow out using my neck. I'll let you check my pulse and I'll move my heart rate while you're talking and counting. And I'll drop my heart rate while you count out loud and I'll slow it down to about 30 beats a minute. I mean, why talk about it when you could do it? Why fake it when you could do it for real? Now, that's a plus and a minus because in America, they like to put us in a box. So I still end up as the magician half the time. 
Right. Even though most of what I do is 100% real. Yeah, I just, I still like es estimate and, and what you're comfortable sharing. How much do you make hanging from an overpass over a pit of fire in terms of like, what did you make at the event? How many like shows did that lead to or bookings after that? Was it was it like a profitable thing that you did or or would you not do that again? Um, honestly, I made almost nothing on that. That was me and my friends. I went down to Alabama right after I had won the gong show. So the gong show, I got video from that and the view, which made a new demo reel, which booked me a gig at what was called the Sloss Fright Furnace, which is one of the top 10 haunted attractions in America. They're in Alabama. Wow. And they okay. do roughly 40,000 people in the month of October and they're closed two, two days a week. Wow. Yeah. So they hire performers to work the line. They hire performers. So once you get in to pay your money, then you go into a holding zone. One, then you wait to get called to go into the next. So they hire people like me to entertain the crowd. And I actually was the low man on the totem pole. I was working the line outside and it was going awful. There was some really ignorant people in those lines and it was not a good gig. And the guys inside that were working the stages looked after me. They were awesome dudes. They're like, dude, you got to bring Brian inside. What he does, you got to bring him in and let him work a stage and we'll give him room. And they took me in. I was there for a month and we all just started clicking, man. It was performer life. You know, you show up at work right. at six, seven at night. When you're done work at one in the morning, you hang out till five, six in the morning. And then you repeat and you hang out and talk for five hours. And we were like, dude, we got to put on a big show on Halloween. Like the client didn't even pay us for this. They just let us do it. We drew a lot of attention to them. We got, we got 30 minutes of news coverage in six days. Wow. Yeah. That, like I've that's got a video. That's a large number. That is crazy. I was on I Good Day Alabama wow. and I did a hundred foot rope challenge. I'm sitting in a chair. They tied me to the chair with a hundred feet of rope. They shackled my biceps to my body and they, I was in mouth chains. They put chains around my neck, put a bicycle lock in my mouth and then padlocked my hands to the sides of my head with the hundred feet of rope and everything else. They finished tying me up and I'm sitting on a green screen. They finished tying me up and I hear a producer go, all right, cut, do me a favor, stay there for 15 minutes until the shot comes back. I'm like, <laughs> Hmm? What? <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear all of my performer friends that tied me up on the side laughing. And if you go back and listen to the broadcast, you can hear these hyenas on the side laughing their butt off because they knew I was oh, trapped my and I couldn't even try to escape for 15 minutes. Yeah, because then, you know, they're going to you're going to ruin the show. You right. wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have the escape oh. live on TV. I don't know how much it would cost to get 30 minutes of airtime within oh. six days, at, at least like, I don't even know, 500,000 to a million dollars in terms of like just you 30 minutes over well, the course wasn't of just six me. days. So we had the opening act was the magician. So it was the okay. four act, the three of us together. There's four people, three different groups. There was a magician okay. solo. Yep. There was a duo. And then there was me and we came together to what we uh, called okay. ourselves outside the box outside is what we called box. ourselves. And <laughs> the magician did his thing. And then the other two were kind of sideshow guys. So we put the one guy in a, uh, so the night of the show, the, we put the one guy inside of a big 55 gallon black trash bag, put a shop vac hose in the bag with him, duct taped it shut and then turned it on. And if you've oh, never no. tried that, you can see every line in the body. You, if he's wearing a necklace, that necklace is tight. clear. You can see his eyelids move. Oh, my gosh. And we did that as an endurance test. I think he was in there for like two and a half minutes before he fell over. And then we got him out. He was fine. Oh, my gosh. That was, that, that was the key. That, when, you're, when you've had enough, fall over. We'll turn it off. That was, that was actually what he was supposed <laughs> to do. Um, the opening wow. guy, did. Uh, he balanced a, lawn, a running lawnmower on his chin. While we threw heads of lettuce in, and then he put the yep. initials, he put an apple in a girl's mouth and put her initials in the apple with a chainsaw. Yeah. Yep. And then the magician uh, did a wow. blammo box. He set a box on fire and opened it. And when he opened it, the fire vanished and I was there. And then I went and hung upside down in two straitjackets over a pit of fire. So that was our 
show. I don't want to take credit for the whole, that was us together promoting and doing stuff together. But uh, when they left me on screen for 15 minutes in the green screen, when they came back, there's video of me floating in the weather, making the escape. And the weatherman's <laughs> like, if you look next to his ear in Tuesday, you can see that we're going to have rain. <laughs> oh, And my I'm gosh. floating through the green screen on TV in the weather report, wiggling to get out of all of this stuff. Wow. Yeah, that Just, was some uh, funny video. Wow. Yeah, I bet. Oh my gosh. Well, so I don't want to to focus necessarily just on you in this interview. We we haven't talked about somebody that I need I need you to talk about. He's very important. And that's your son, who by all accounts is also an incredible human who's been doing incredible things. And so so tell me a little bit about your son and what he's been doing. My son is second generation crazy, which is what's on our shirts, two generations of crazy. So he is currently 12, but he got out. He is, um, unfortunately, as a parent, I guess this is going to be boastful, but he's uh, super smart, like smart, smart, like skipped grades and finished algebra when he was 10 years old. Wow. Yeah. So even in private school, he takes math by himself with just a teacher because he doesn't have any peers, even skipping a grade. So he, wow. he's, yeah, he was a little guy that like at three, when he went to camp, I'd be like, uh, all right, you ready to go? He's like, dad, did you pack my bathing suit? Did you pack my extra bathing suit? Did you put my bag for my wet clothes and my towel? <laughs> Whoa, hello. Isn't that my job? I was like, Whoa. so <laughs> when he was two and a half, he was at the Harbor and he watched a show. And the next day he was doing my show. He had made his own props and was performing my show verbatim. He had memorized everything word for word. So like my bullwhip, he was using a glow stick, like a glow necklace was his bullwhip. And his banners were like my old posters. And his straight jacket was a shirt. And uh, he was doing my show and he had every line in order, in sync. He had memorized it after seeing it once. And he was performing wow. my show. So at five... You know, I, I, I didn't want to be one of those parents. So I, I waited till he was five. Then I got him a straight jacket. Uh, four was too early. Oh, yeah. Definitely not one of those parents. Oh, and I will tell you, don't ever Google child straight jacket because I just thought the FBI was coming because it does not take you to a happy place. Oh, oh, no. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I had a guy in Texas works. custom make them. So my son just got his fourth straight jacket at like $300 a piece. So my son, I have oh like $1,200 worth of little kids straight jackets, which either makes me the greatest dad in the world or creepy as hell. Um, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, somewhere in the but, middle, um, for sure. Yeah, he he started, he started getting accolades by seven. He was getting recognized. At eight years old, he performed for the Society of American Magicians National Convention as a star of tomorrow. Wow. Um, and at that point, he was doing a straight jacket, balancing on an upside down BOSU ball on a keyboard stand as his closer. But he can do mentalism and magic and cards. And he can, I mean, again, you only got to show him once. He learns fast. So we have a whole routine now called his COVID skills. There's a thing his in our COVID app skills. called the COVID skills. So All since right. COVID, he learned to juggle torches, machetes, some balancing. He can now crack a bull whip with both hands. Um, and he's going to perform for the first time on Friday night. We have a Mercyhurst university. We do college, a bunch of colleges and stuff. He's going to lay on a bed of nails with no shirt. I'm going to bust a cinder block on his chest while he lays on a bed of nails for the first time live on a Friday night. You are, you are just the best dad. You oh, know, my dad, my dad also busted a cinder block on my chest when I was a kid, but it, it was a little different. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's but that's incredible. And and the thing that shocks me the most is, as far as we know, he is also the youngest performer to ever be put in a straitjacket and get out of a straitjacket. Correct? Yeah. Somebody hit me up uh, about two years ago through that video. And he said, no, I think my kid is. And we actually went back and looked at the date of the video and the purchase of the jacket. And my son had beaten him by like four months. Wow. So there might be others out there, although I don't know where anyone else is getting a custom made straight Child jacket. Straight jacket. Um, you know, like my son gets measured. He like we met we've got like six different points that the the tailor measures him 
to make his straight jackets like correctly. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's performed, he, he does colleges, he does corporate events, he's done solo stuff. Um, so, I mean, he's got a ton of potential for whatever he wants. Again, he, he's pretty smart. So that's incredible. But that's awesome. And he was five years old, correct? When he, when he broke that record or I guess started that record, I guess started it and Guinness didn't take it. I had sent them something, but I don't think the proof we could do things the right way. So it's not like an official record, but right. let's but let's see someone else's jacket and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god! But goodness. yeah, wow. if you go to YouTube and type in five year old escape artist, you'll see him at five doing straight jackets and his own hat lines in the harbor at five years old. That's he was doing incredible. steel boxes and straight jackets. Wow! Yeah, I that's that's amazing. He uh, he has definitely got. A really cool future ahead of him, for sure. No matter what he decides to do, that's right. He can he can do what he wants awesome. at his his level. I mean, he'll he'll be thirteen in as a freshman in high school. So he'll when he graduates high school, he will barely be able to drive before he gets out of high school. He'll turn seventeen like a month before he graduates high school. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he skipped. Wow. He skipped a little, a little bit, a little wow. bit. That's that's awesome. Well. But, Brian, it's been great having you on. I have three more quick questions for you. Uh, we ask these of all of our guests. Your answers do not necessarily determine anything about you, but it's always really interesting to hear people's responses. The first one I have for you is if you were a drink, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, what would you be and why? Mm, it was a drink. Yeah, I, I guess I'd be water. Um. Wait, so the, the performer is water. Okay. That's pretty much all I personally drink. I also like rafting and stuff. And water generally can, water can be either really simple and flow with things and you can flow with it. And it can also be extremely aggressive and destructive as water is what formed the world and can break through rock and reshape things any way it wants. So I wouldn't label myself in one way. And I think water would probably be one of those things that you could describe in a lot of different ways, which I think would probably be more apropos and fitting to me. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know what? I was a little skeptical at first, but that that's a very good answer. Uh, my second question for you is if you were on your deathbed right now, like trick goes wrong, something happens and you're about to die. What would be your biggest regret or do you have any regrets? Not generally. Um, it, that's the one thing I try to teach my wrestlers and my son is most people regret the things they didn't do and not the things they did in most cases. There's always exceptions, but I always warn my guys, my wrestlers especially, that you know, regret is the one thing you'll never overcome and will stay with you for life. Um, and the pandemic's caused some of my kids some regret, you know, they missed out on things. And that's what I feel terrible about, like athletes that have trained their whole life for an Olympics or a state title and the world shut down three days before that event. And they never got that piece. But no, I mean, part of me would have loved to have seen the opportunities having not had kids and, you know, gone for that upper echelon. But in general, nah, I'm not a regret kind of guy. I've done what I've done. I'll do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. And my final question for you is, are you a good person? Yep. I mean, if you ask other people, most people would say I'm an asshole. I tend to come off that way and my arms don't go all the way down. So I stand and I look almost like cocky because my arm just <laughs> the way they sit. Yeah. But no, um, I have been I learned enough about myself when I was younger and I've been called enough names and told enough things that I had to look at myself. And eventually the people that said things to me, I realized none of them ever talked to me. None of them ever got to know me. I will happily jump in front of a bullet for virtually anyone in any situation. I'm the guy you want to be behind that will do stuff loyally for anyone who's on my team. And generally, even if you're not on my team, I'd probably sacrifice myself for others. So, nope, definitely uh, believe myself to be a good person. Awesome. That's a great answer. All right, guys, this has been our episode with Brian Rudo. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
Absolutely. If you thought this episode was interesting, you can check out some of our other episodes at our website, totspodcast.com. We are also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and every other single podcast streaming app or music app. We are literally all over the internet. If you can't find us somewhere, just search Tots Podcast on Google. I promise you we will pop up. We post every single Friday at 6 o'clock p.m. I really appreciate you guys listening. But if you want to watch episodes like this and some of our other ones, because we've had some really cool people on, you can go to YouTube and just search Tots Podcast. We will pop right up. We also have social media. We are always at TotsCast on social media. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That is our new thing, so please go check us out there. Uh, And again, thank you guys so much for listening. You let me do what I love to do most, which is interview really cool people. Brian, where can people find you if they want to check out you or your son's stuff? Uh, They can find both of us online at The Rudos, so the com. On Facebook, they can like our page. It's also The Rudos. And on Instagram, one more time, it's still The Rudos. We try to make life simple for people. So anyone holding events and wants cool stuff, hit us up. Perfect. Thank you guys again so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye.